Welcome to Live Label Free, the podcast where we talk about all things eating disorder recovery, autism, entrepreneurship, and so much more. I'm your host, Livia Sarah, and my mission is to inspire individuals from across the globe to live a life in which they feel fulfilled and free from limiting labels. I am so excited to have you here and cannot wait to dive into the episode. Hey, hey, my friends, how y'all doing? Well, this podcast episode has been a long time coming because today I chat with my good friend Thomas Henley from at Asperger's Growth. Thomas is an autism and mental health advocate that aims to spread awareness for people with disabilities. He is also a biomedical sciences honors graduate from the University of Manchester, very fancy, and a Commonwealth gold medalist in Taekwondo, like Whoa! Over the past couple of years, Thomas has delivered presentations at special needs schools all across the UK and has appeared on radio shows like BBC Radio to share everything he stands for. He is also the host of the Thoughty Audie podcast, which was actually how I connected to Thomas in the first place when I myself was seeking understanding and community after discovering I have autism. So to say I'm grateful to have this whole connecting through autism on a podcast thing come full circle would definitely be an understatement. And what would also be a huge understatement is how valuable this episode is with Thomas because we dive into such vulnerable topics and break so many stigmas, not only around autism and mental health, but you'll also hear what it's like to struggle with an eating disorder from a male's perspective. Thomas shares what it was like growing up autistic, how being a professional athlete contributed to the development of his eating disorder, how his mess became his message, the impact of interoceptive difficulties on our hormones, and we also have a really interesting exchange around eating disorders in our family histories, and we talk about how genetics play a huge role in mental health across generations. You are definitely going to want to listen to this episode all the way through because towards the end, Thomas shares his current strategies to keep showing up in his recovery, from reducing episodes of binging at night to improving his mood, and we of course shed light on the fact that recovery is not linear. Awareness is key, and more importantly, vulnerability is strength. And with that said, let's get straight into today's episode with Thomas from Asperger's Growth. Hey Thomas, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Liv. I've been looking forward to this for the past two weeks, so it's going to be it's going to be a nice chat and catch up anyway, because we're all so busy and both so busy all the time and stuff, so it's it's nice to finally sit down and do a podcast. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And with that said, just saying how we're both so busy, why don't you just start off by giving our listeners an introduction to yourself and what you do? Sure. So primarily, I am a autism advocate from the UK. I do a lot of public speaking and YouTubing and podcasting. And basically, a lot of my missions sort of surround autism but also it's a lot to do with mental health as well. There's a lot of crossover in in those those aspects and 
when I'm not <laughs> doing all of that media stuff, I do work in a job as a charity worker. And I do a lot of work with advocacy organizations, which help people with disabilities to get their rights heard and that their voice heard rather. But yeah, I a lot of the stuff that I do, very media based. Hopefully in the future, I'm hoping to, to campaign for some policies in the UK. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think all the work you're doing is so, so important, especially for people with disabilities who are often unable to voice themselves or rather people don't even want to listen to them or hear them. I think it's so important to have people like you that are just spreading awareness and using your own story and your own wisdom and your own knowledge to support these people and really like become like a family. Because I think if the world were to just support and be more open and understanding, the world would be much more of a beautiful place. So just to go back for our listeners, you own your platform as Produce Growth. And I actually found Thomas when I was listening to his podcast, the Thoughty Audi podcast, when I found out I was autistic. So I wanted to kind of dive into that and what inspired you to start your own platform and to start Asperger's Growth? Well, it sounds a bit crazy, but the roots of Asperger's Growth and the podcast can be found quite deep in the past. I used to be quite a competitive athlete in the sport of Taekwondo. And I've talked a lot about how Taekwondo sort of helped me with my mental health and sort of gave me an environment to grow my social skills and stuff. But during that time, I was diagnosed with quite severe depression, anxiety, and a couple of dissociative related conditions. And how old were you at this time? I was 14 at that time, but it had been going on for a couple of years prior to that. I was diagnosed with autism at the age of 10, so there's not much of a gap between them. Yeah, yeah, because before you continue, I, I'm wondering, the listeners may be wondering about your autistic journey and kind of how that came to be. So before maybe we get to how you started Asperger's Growth, how about we start off with you explaining kind of the signs and maybe how that went, like your journey with being diagnosed with autism? No, of course. I know that your podcast is based kind of around the eating disorders and things like that. So I guess it would be apt to <laughs> give a little bit of an explanation. So I was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, which uh, has recently been taken off the mental health manual. It's now called ASD-1. But basically what it is, is I would describe it as being a mix of a more classically autistic person and a neurotypical person. So someone who isn't autistic. I mean, this is not the most politically correct way of explaining it, but we're kind of in the middle. So we have different autistic traits in different amounts and main things that we tend to struggle with is the social, emotional language components of life, which makes it obviously quite difficult in any setting where you're around people <laughs> like school. Yeah. But at the same time, like it almost, I feel, makes it harder to diagnose as autism because you don't fit that Rain Man stereotype. Because <laughs> when I was really starting my own autism journey, it started off with me reading the book Asperger's by Rudy Simone. And that book is also about actually Asperger's syndrome and girls specifically. So I actually often recommend that book to people who are still kind of on the fence of whether they should pursue an autism diagnosis because they've seen content that I've posted and they resonate with it. And then I recommend that to them. But later on, I learned that the term Asperger's was never being used anymore because 
Apparently, Hans Asperger was not a very good man. <laughs> no, he wasn't a good man. In my opinion, I feel like we've sort of reclaimed the word or reclaimed the term as, you know, like Aspie. You know, that's our word. That's not. I mean, we could go into a lot to do with autism, but um, <laughs> but yeah, the the social stuff, emotional stuff, the sensory difficulties with like you know being a bit too hypersensitive, but also a lot of positive traits. Including high IQ, logical abilities, often quite creative abilities, and and sticking to routines and stuff. So there's a lot of things in that autism bubble, if you were to call it that. And people are very much, very much different to each other in a lot of ways, apart from those ways that that I've explained. I would say in most cases. Yeah, no, I completely agree, and I think any. Case, if you want to call that, of autism or Asperger's or whatever, it's all so so different. Because as I was talking on a previous podcast episode with Neurodivergent Lou, we even talked about how you can be both hyper and hyposensitive at the same time in terms of different aspects of your life. So I think it is totally unique per autistic individual or. Really, any person on earth, whether you be autistic or even neurotypical, because no two people are the same and no two people possess the same qualities. So that's why I just think comparison really is just the worst thing because you really can't compare. <laughs> But again, that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> But yeah, so thank you for sharing kind of your autism story because you said you were diagnosed at the age of ten. How did that kind of go before that? Like. Did your parents advocate for you, or did teachers maybe suspect something? I think a lot of people suspected a lot of things. I was always a very <laughs> bubbly, friendly kid. I liked to socialize a lot, and I did always show those typical sort of stimming, stereotypical sort of movements that autistic people do. My stim was to spin around in a spot on one leg all the time. <laughs> yeah, I can't do that anymore. Being about six three and ninety kilograms, it's it's a bit difficult at this <laughs> at this time. But I I didn't really notice anything personally until I got into secondary school, which is it's kind of the time when kids tend to get a lot more socially advanced. And obviously, me lagging behind quite a bit, I struggled with that environment and I struggled with the feel of secondary school. You know, all the rumors and the The people and the bullying, and so that was one of the reasons why I developed those mental health conditions because of this new environment. And do you mind if I go on to why I sort of made my YouTube channel? Because I think it links quite well. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm sorry because we were gonna talk about that, and then I was like, wait, wait, we totally skipped his his youth. <laughs> so yeah, definitely. How about we talk about that? Go ahead. Well, I I went through. A lot of really rough patches, and I displayed a lot of the typical signs of quite severe depression, like self harm, and I guess we're we're going to go on to talk about one of the aspects, which was bulimia, and I was also quite highly suicidal at that time in my life, and I remember going to taekwondo one day after having a really difficult day at school due to the bullying aspects. You know, I went on the bus to go to school, and I got bullied on the bus. Then I got out, was okay in class, and then got bullied at lunchtime and then at the break time. And then something bad happened with some of my friends, and I was not feeling good. And I sort of made a little bit of a mental deal with myself that 
one day if I can stick around, if I can not hurt myself like that and I can stick around and get into my 20s, then I will be able to have a platform to share my experiences. And that has been perhaps the the one thing that's not the one thing, but one of the main things that have kept me going all these years just that dream of one day trying to help other people and trying to change a lot of the difficulties that autistic people and people with mental health conditions have. So I started up the channel in my second year at uni after going through a bad breakup and um, I was very alone. I didn't really have many friends. So I started up as more of a expressive channel. So a chance to sort of tell my story. And over the years, it, it turned into a channel for helping people because I put so much work into trying to develop myself personally over that four or five years. At the end of that, at the end of my time at university, I started up a podcast because I wanted to talk to people about things and learn about their experiences. And um, it was very eye-opening to, to hear about people's stories. Wow. I, yeah, I just have, I don't even know where to start with the fact that you just said like I really just wanted to make it to my 20s so I could use everything that I've experienced and to share my story and to help other people going through this that like I can't even I don't even know where to begin when saying like that just goes to show how good of a person you are and what a kind heart you have to really start this whole channel to inspire others and to support others and it's really what you said about like I was able to start my podcast and to start everything because I worked through my own issues myself. And I think that's really like the epitome of this whole idea of you can only fill others' cups when you have filled your own cup first. Kind of like the the airplane example, like don't put the mask on the children until you've put your own mask on first. Because I think especially hypersensitive people like us, like very kind-hearted, want to help people. It's so easy for us to put ourselves at not risk necessarily, but to not take care of ourselves because we are so focused on taking care of others. So I just think it's so beautiful how you really were able to realize and recognize like I need to work through this first so that I can best serve the people that I want to serve. So I just think that's really, really beautiful. And I think I can speak on behalf of your whole community to say that we're so grateful for you because without you, I would not know all the things about autism that I now know because you were the first, one of the few podcasts out there that were really a resource for me when I had no idea what autism was. I didn't even know that it was like a normal thing to have and just looking up like random things and then landing on your podcast, I was like, this is a gift. So I just want you to know that you're a gift and we appreciate you. You're making me blush. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's honestly like, I just feel like these days we really don't have a lot of, especially autistic people, we don't really have a lot of, I guess, strong role models in that sense, because, you know, even even a lot of the YouTubers and stuff, it's, you know, I, what one of the things that I try to to do as much as possible is to be honest about my life. You know, I don't say you know, I, I'm the best and I'm great and I am a different breed of person and I've got everything sorted out in my life where, you know, I, I struggle with lots of things that most people 
most autistic people would struggle with as well. No, and I think that honesty is just so important. And I think people honestly value the honesty and the vulnerability so much more than people saying like, oh, like I've got it all figured out and I live my life as a free entrepreneur on a beach in Hawaii, which is not even realistic because if you've ever been to a beach, you know you can't work on a laptop on a beach. But I always like to say there's so much strength in vulnerability because whoever is saying like my life is perfect and I've got it all figured out, everyone knows they're lying because no one has it all figured out unless there's something insanely wrong with you. <laughs> so I think it's just so important to to really open up and share about the not so nice things because we're all human and that's what connects us is is our vulnerability. It is. It is. It's it, like with friendships and stuff like the you can only make good friendships by telling people what your worst feature is and what your worst experiences and you know talk to them when you're at your lowest positivity is great but it's always important to go back to the fact that most of the time you're not super super positive about everything and happy which I feel like that's just put across so much these days and people have unrealistic expectations of how life should be you know most of the time we're always worrying about something and we're always upset about something we're always looking forward to something you know, we have little patches of our day or our week or a month that we feel great and we connect with people. I want to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about one of my absolute favorite ways to consistently nourish my body as a busy gal, and that is with Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest is a plant-based meal delivery service that creates products built on fruits and veggies. With the fast pace of our lives nowadays, it can be so difficult to find the time to consistently hit up the farmer's market or stock up on fresh foods, let alone spend hours in the kitchen planning out your meals or cooking. But being busy or short on time is never an excuse to skimp out on fueling your body, especially if it can be as easy as having fresh food delivered straight to your doorstep. Whether you're craving a specific flavor, have dietary restrictions such as vegan, gluten-free, or paleo, Daily Harvest has got your back. From superfood smoothies to flavorful harvest bowls to veggie-packed flatbreads to opals to snack bites to vegan ice cream and so much more, Daily Harvest has over 85 options to choose from. I absolutely love the broccoli and cheese with a Z harvest bowl and the cauliflower and leek stew paired with some plant-based protein and toast for a satisfying lunch or dinner. Or how about their carrot cinnamon smoothie that tastes like carrot cake for breakfast? Whether you are in need of a nutritious start to your day, an in-between meeting lunch, or are just feeling snacky for their bites, all Daily Harvest products are completely free of refined sugars, gluten, fillers, preservatives, or artificial anything. You can now get up to $40 off Daily Harvest by using my code LIVELABELFREE at checkout. Just head over to daily-harvest.com and use the code LIVELABELFREE, like the name of this podcast, at checkout for up to $40 off your order. I have no doubt you'll love Daily Harvest as much as I do. Now, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, and, and honestly, I feel like with the whole 
comparison thing, I just feel like social media and just the digitalization of everything has made it so much worse. Oh, God. Yeah. Because you literally only see the highlight reel. Like the fact that Instagram's video feature is called Reels, I'm like, what are you guys trying to do here? <laughs> and yeah, it just makes it so much worse. And that's why I feel like, especially for us content creators and people that do have an online platform, it's especially important for us to be vulnerable because we are really setting the example for people that are maybe struggling. And if everyone online, like all the content creators are only going to show their perfect life and show their highlight reels, then people will just feel bad about themselves because they only will compare themselves to the good parts of that person's life. And I always like to remind people of you never know what's going on behind the screen. Um, you never know what's, what's really going on. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. So with that said, with talking about the not so nice parts do you kind of want to share your story with an eating disorder and with bulimia and yeah all all that good stuff sure so when i was going through my quite severe period when i was younger i did develop a eating disorder and that eating disorder was bulimia and i think contrary to what most people would think about people with bulimia i didn't really have much of a self-image issue it was at the time when it started to manifest, it was more of a, a way of self-harm than anything. I used to have like loads of sugar like in, in one go and make myself feel ill. And then I would obviously I, I would purge myself. And that led to a lot of difficulties because obviously it's not so great on your teeth. And your throat and everything in your brain. Mm -hmm. And um, I developed some acid reflux because of it as well. But in the instance at uh, that sort of 8, 14, 15, 16 age, it was a lot to do with self-harm. I guess when I got a little bit older, it did start to become a lot about body image. I used to compete quite competitively in the sport of Taekwondo. And when I was competing, I had to stick to a certain weight bracket. And one of the issues with that is that the taller you are for your weight bracket, the better you're going to perform. So obviously people starve themselves. They don't develop eating disorders in the, in the typical way, but they are starving themselves for a goal, for a sport, which is obviously really bad. Yeah, practicing unhealthy behaviors. Exactly. And it's, it's very heavily reinforced by a lot of the coaches. Uh, there's not really any measures in place, even for teenagers and children, which is a really difficult thing. And so I'm about six free now and, as I said, about 90 kilos. Uh, well, I was the same height at the peak of my Taekwondo career, but I was 71 kilos. So I was about 30 kilos lighter than I am now. I'm not a fairly skinny person, but yeah, it was, it was not good. I got very sick and I got very tired and lethargic. And Your whole immune system is, is fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's uh, also, I guess, more intimate things would be like, it tends to screw up your hormones. Like I know with women, it's a lot to do with like your period stopping and stuff like that. And for me, it was like a more like a sort of a sexual dysfunction, which didn't do a lot for my confidence. <laughs> no, well, I'm really happy that you actually share that and talk about that because I feel like for women, it's so obvious like, oh, 
when you're not eating enough, you miss your period and that's bad for your bones and you can't have children. Oh, well, but it's not like I feel like the male side, because there's so much stigma around males and eating disorders, it's just not as talked about. And I feel like, again, here where we were talking about how vulnerability is strength, I feel like it's so important that these topics are talked about because there are guys out there that are experiencing this. There are men out there experiencing this. And if they're trying to find connection and there's no one talking about it then they'll feel alone like also when it comes to treatment centers and all this like what message are we sending males when 99% of treatment centers only accept females that have insurance that covers their treatment and when it does cover their treatment they have to fit this like low weight profile which is another stigma so It's just like I could go on and on about all the stigmas also in terms of race and like sexual identity and everything. Yeah, my main message is it's so important that we talk about all of the parts. So really, thank you for sharing that and being open about that, because I'm sure for any guys listening here, it's just so helpful to know that you're not alone. Um, And even for females to get an understanding of how it is for guys, because we're all in this together as a world. I know from researching that one of the key sort of things that happen when you lose a lot of weight as a dude is that your testosterone drops, which in a lot of cases, testosterone is quite a mood stabilizing hormone. A lot of people associate it with aggression, but it's, it's actually more associated with dominance and a stable mood. And confidence too, probably. Exactly. So... Obviously, if you if you've got a low self image and then you you're starving yourself as a dude and your testosterone is dropping, then if you're kind of in a little bit of a vicious cycle because you have those fluctuating moods a lot more often, and you know due to the nature of sort of being bulimic, when you feel at your worst, you want to go binge and purge, and it tends to be a lot with these mental health related things that it is a vicious cycle. Yeah. Absolutely. And an eating disorder never stands on its own because you used a very important word when you started talking about bulimia. You used the word manifest. And ever since I found out that I was autistic, I really started to dive into this relationship between autism and eating disorders. And that's really what this whole podcast is based around. And I kind of started opening up about how I believe that my autism actually manifested as an eating disorder because in my case I had anorexia and orthorexia so really obsession for healthy eating and obsession for control and very routine and strict with the foods I ate and how I ate and the times I ate at and when I just look at everything I did as a child like all the autistic signs and you almost put them into food and exercise like it's almost like an equation for anorexia and orthorexia so I'm wondering for you because you say the bulimia was a manifestation so what do you believe it was a manifestation of I think it was at its baseline it was a manifestation of my hate towards myself I mean that can take a lot of different forms you know growing up autistic I was very I would say obsessed with finding a relationship and dating even at quite a young age and the problem was is that I wasn't very good at maintaining or getting relationships and I was also really bad at maintaining and getting friends and so that sort of self-image difficulty you know I wanted to to have a 
a good male body and I wanted to have abs and I couldn't really put on muscle. So I just lost weight so that I did, you know, it manifested as, as a routine after a while, every night I would eat and then I would purge and the next day I probably wouldn't eat anything at all. And I would just be looking forward to having the binge and then purging and yeah, and that routine really ties back to why autistic people are usually so much more vulnerable to these kind of eating issues because autistic people like routine. <laughs> it's also those interoception difficulties that, you know, we, we tend to be a bit numb to our own body signals, like going to the toilet <laughs> or, or drinking water, staying hydrated or even eating as well, which if you don't have those hunger signals and you don't want to put on weight, and you're purging it's it's like where is your nutrition coming in yeah no i'm so happy you mentioned that because i actually do have a podcast episode like a solo episode all about interoception but it's titled interoception in autism and anorexia but i really like that we're talking about it in terms of just bulimia too now because i personally only have experience with anorexia and orthorexia so i tied it to that and I read like over 18 of those PubMed articles and a lot of it was about autism and anorexia because I, I also feel like there's more of a, a stigma around bulimia and because very often people with bulimia are not chronically underweight. So I feel like it, it may go undiagnosed more than something like anorexia, which is if you're like skeletal, it's obvious like, oh, it's anorexia, you know? So again, there's another stigma there, but I'm I'm really happy you talked about the interoception because I think that's definitely something for me when I look back at my own start of my eating disorder at the age of 11. Like, I seriously, I just was never hungry. So I'd say, well, if I'm not hungry, like, why would I eat? That doesn't make sense because you learn at school when you're hungry, you eat, you know? Like, that's what your parents tell you. Do you ever find that, like, if you go for long periods without eating, you kind of interpret those feelings of hunger, that pain in your stomach as being full or that you don't want to eat? So I, I find that, like, that happens quite a bit with me if I go for, like, a long period of not eating. Yeah, no, I... I don't necessarily associate it as being full because like alternate signs of hunger, that hunger is not necessarily that physical stomach pain because for me, when I haven't eaten for like a couple hours and I may not feel physically hungry, I often now know that I'm hungry because I feel like very tired or weak and that's how I know that I need to eat. But as a young kid at the age of 11, I didn't know that. I thought I was just tired from school and tired from soccer and tired from gymnastics and all the other crazy cartwheels I was doing all the time <laughs> like it didn't make sense to me so yeah I think that's really different per individual going back to the the post and really all the research I did on autism and anorexia and how interoception it can be like a link between these two in a lot of the articles I found on anorexia and what you said about like how the hunger signal can be sensed as like almost a fullness after a couple hours after several studies actually done in people with anorexia they actually found that for like a quote-unquote normal person hunger like the physical feeling of hunger is often experienced as like a painful thing and that's what triggers us to go seek out food because when we eat, then the dopamine is released and we feel happy. But it was actually in a study, they found that the opposite was true for people with anorexia. That actually when these people don't eat, when they feel hunger, it was actually sensed as pleasurable and that's what released the dopamine. So kind of the restriction then triggers the dopamine instead of the other way around, how it's like supposed to be. And that's why people think that 
eating disorders can last for such a long time and why people can go so long being sick and being underweight. Is that something that is more of a genetic factor? Is that something that manifests after long periods of time not eating enough? I think it's definitely also genetic. I think anyone who develops an eating disorder has a genetic predisposition. And that's why I also hate the stigma of like seeing thin models causes eating disorders or seeing this causes eating disorders or social media causes eating disorders. Because if that was true, then every single person to walk the face of this earth would develop an eating disorder. But that's not the case because we're all exposed to the media and the magazines and the thin models, but only a smaller percentage of the population goes on to actually develop a full-blown eating disorder. So to answer your question, I think there's always a genetic component, but it's of course very hard to measure. (laughs) It does seem that's the case because my nana, my grandma, she had anorexia like up until she was about 70. But um, my mom also really struggles with binging. And uh, Yeah, my, my mom actually had bulimia when she was in her 20s. So I do think that they've done a few studies on like different hormones and stuff, like specifically around sleep and around eating. And you have like the two sort of hormones, uh, one of the main ones being leptin and ghrelin. Yeah, ghrelin is the hunger hormone and leptin is the, the fullness hormone. Well, people have sort of different patterns of those hormones. So like my sort of pattern of, of eating is I eat and then an hour later I'm hungry and then an hour later I'm hungry. So I, I snack. And if if I don't eat that, then it kind of cuts off that pattern. Right. Because, yeah, and then you get those hormonal, like, imbalances. As I've got older, my bulimia and difficulties with my weight has more turned into just binging disorder, which is quite a difficult thing because at the age that I am now, and you know, I'm trying to... I'm trying to look good. I'm trying to, to feel good <laughs> and all that. And um, I don't purge myself anymore. So it's just a case of binging now. I started a new medication about three years ago called metazapine, which is an appetite stimulants and anxiety relief, mainly because for the anxiety relief, but it really amplified my tendency to binge on a night because you take it at night just before you sleep, appetite stimulant kicks in. It's really hard not to eat. I become absolutely ravenous. Yeah, because the hormones are just firing. <laughs> Tommy, like I can, I can feel my hunger just so much more when I when I take that, take that little tablet, <laughs> and sometimes I eat so much that like for the next day my hunger is just non-existent for like the entire day up until that point. And over these past year, I've been trying to eat force myself to eat during the day so that I get my hunger pattern more normal if that makes sense yeah no I was about to say because I talk a lot about how the root of like overeating and binge eating it's the problem itself is not the binge eating the problem itself often starts with the restriction because when we restrict our body goes into energy deficit and obviously later in the day when we haven't eaten all day our body's like, well, we still need food from the whole day. So we have to make up for all those calories. So that's why I think binging is so most common at night because people don't restrict during the night. Like you're sleeping, you restrict during the day. So right when you're about to go to sleep and your body knows like, we're going to go to sleep, we're not going to get food now. Like we need to 
make up for all the food we missed throughout the day. It's a lot to do with like the, the social stigma as well. Like I've never met anybody who binges in front of people. They always binge on their own. Like I come across quite a lot of people who are wanting to lose weight and I've spent a day with them and they're just, they've hardly eaten anything. And then obviously like, where are they putting the weight on? Exactly. Yeah. Because of the guilt and shame around the binging. So yeah. How is that going now? Like, have you found strategies that have helped with the binging at the moment? It's very up and down as with anything. It's very highly correlated with my mental health. My anxiety is high if I'm depressed. I'm going to eat. I'm going to be more likely to binge because when the sun goes down, it all looks so dark outside. I feel like the day's over. I get really stressed. I get really panicked. I'm like, oh God, it's going to be the next day tomorrow. And I still need to do this, this, and this, and this, and this. And life is horrible. And so I, <laughs> and so I binge. And I think at the moment, the best strategies that I've come across is regular exercise which really helps me sort of solidify those positive eating patterns. You know, a lot of exercise, it's not just good for your body, it's good for your brain. It releases so many different positive brain growth factors. And when you're exercising, one of the reasons why people get so into it and get into their healthy eating and they fix up their diet is not because they're into the world of exercise, it's because they're actually have more of an ability to change those unhealthy patterns. So exercise has been massive, of course, going to the gym. I've also, as a little side addition to going to the gym, I, you know, I want to put on muscle. So I've had to start eating during the day in order to do that. Yeah, you need to fuel, fuel your workout. <laughs> exactly. Do you want to know what my number one secret ingredient is to creating the thickest smoothie bowls, the creamiest oat bowls, and honestly just making everything taste better, all while supporting my gut health at the same time? I know you do. Well my friend, that ingredient is Newfest Clean Lean Protein, baby. And for those of you who do already follow me on Instagram, this may not even be a secret because I've been using Newsest for over five years now and I'm about to tell you just why it's literally the best protein ever. So Newsest has succeeded in creating a plant-based protein that's made from only the highest quality ingredients, has the smoothest texture, and tastes absolutely amazing. They have an incredible range of flavors each of which has pea protein as the core ingredient. And not just any pea protein, get this. Pea protein made from premium European golden peas that have been grown in the rich soils of northern France and processed in Belgium using a patented water-based technique that results in a silky smooth texture. Like, does that just sound magical or what? Clean Lean Protein by Newsest is free of all common allergens such as gluten, soy, and dairy, and also contains zero artificial flavors, sweeteners, or additives. 
And did I mention it tastes absolutely delicious? Whether you follow a plant-based diet, love being active, struggle with gut health, or just want to improve your overall quality of life, Newsest Clean Lean Protein is a must-have in your kitchen. And when it comes to flavors, I find it so hard to choose. But my personal favorites are the Just Natural, the Smooth Vanilla, the Rich Chocolate, and the chai, turmeric, and maca. And when I'm needing a little extra gut support, my go-to flavors are the probiotic vanilla and the probiotic cacao that have added probiotics for optimal digestion. I am so excited to be giving my podcast listeners an exclusive 25% off when you use my code LIVEFREE25 at checkout on Newsest USA's website. So that's N-U-Z-E-S-T dash usa dot com and use my code live free 25 at checkout so that's l-i-v-f-r-e-e-2-5 to receive 25% off newsest clean lean protein now let's get back to the episode another positive is that i've started drinking protein shakes which like if I have a protein shake before I go to bed and I have a protein bar that's like really delicious, you know, one of those grenade protein chocolate bars. Yeah, the one that was like the milk chocolate. <laughs> Ooh, with the cookie dough and the chocolate chips. And I can just eat one of those and it's like 250 calories, but it fills me up and I can go to bed. Like I've had my little snack, I've had my little treat. And I feel full and I'm working towards my fitness goal. It does a lot for me because I really just can't not eat at nighttime. Oh, me neither. My go-to is protein chocolate porridge. So I do oats and I do sometimes like cauliflower rice in there um, to get some extra veggies. And then I do cacao powder and I love the new Zest vegan protein powder and then some almond milk hot water in the microwave and then I on top I always do like frozen berries and then dark chocolate which gets all melty and delicious and it's I cannot go to sleep if I've not had my protein porridge (laughs) but that's great isn't it because you're actually you're eating something that tastes good but it's also good for you and it doesn't make you feel bad about eating at night it's I don't know. It's it's very different because if you have protein, satiety levels, they stay high for quite a while. But when you have things that I would eat when when I was bulimic or when I was binging very heavily, it would be like packets of Oreos and very highly sugary foods. And the issue is, is that my satiety levels would go up, but then because of the insulin and because of all the stuff that comes from the sugar, my satiety dips really hard and then I need to eat again. And so it's like, it's not just one binging session. It's like two or maybe three, depending on if I can sleep or not. Yeah. So I'm really happy that you just have been able to share and be so, so open. Cause I think these are those parts of recovery that are often not talked about and people don't share about because oh, like you in recovery, you should be doing so well. But I think it's so important to remember for people that recovery is not linear because like you said, when we get anxious or we get stressed, like these are often our coping mechanisms. When I moved to my apartment last year, I did lose some weight and it was completely unintentional, but it wasn't until like two months after being here where I was like, whoa, like my pants don't fit like they used to. And that's kind of when you realize like, yeah, this is, this is something that 
is still in my life. And I think it's so important to remember, like, that's where I feel like the knowing that it's genetic really helped me is to know, like, it's not your fault. Like, the fact that you have this is just encrypted in your DNA. Like, there's nothing you can do about that. But choosing recovery and knowing that you maybe did this or you lost weight or you binged or whatever the behavior is and then waking up the next day and saying today I choose to do actions and I choose to behave in a way that supports my recovery that's always a choice like the the eating disorder is never your fault but recovery is always a choice so that's something that I always like to remind people of so yeah I'm happy to hear that eating protein has helped you and also going to the gym other other aspects of going to the gym and working out that have helped you and your mental health definitely I mean main sort of few things that help me is number one socializing with people the amount that I want to so like every other day it really helps boost my mood exercise of course I do it in the evening so that I can feel more relaxed and it really helps sort of bolster my my mood for the next day or so CBD is quite a big important thing for me yeah I, I love that you say that because I take CBD too and it, again just like always <laughs> the question whenever I tell like not health gurus like I take CBD before bed they're like does that like contain weed <laughs> and I'm like no <laughs> <laughs> no it's it looks like it <laughs> it looks like it but it's not yeah and it it smells kind of funky too but <laughs> yeah it's just I mean, the main takeaway message that I'd say from my recovery journey would be that a lot of the positive results that I've seen, it's not being a consequence of me directly targeting it. It's all the other stuff that I do around it. If I can get to sleep at a good time, I'm not going to binge as much as I would. If I can get something that tastes nice and fills me up, uh, then I won't feel bad about having a snack at night and eating throughout the day is good. And it helps with my muscle building, but it also, it stops me from more likely to binge on the nighttime. And um, when you do slip up, you know, as you said, just try the next day. And it does get easier the more that you reinforce those different areas of your life. Yeah, absolutely. And I just love everything you said about eating to really nourish yourself and to feel good and moving to feel good. Because I think that's another just something that our culture has just created the wrong message around that we need to go to the gym to look a certain way and the only reason to eat is so that we can support our fitness goals or that in recovery you're not really recovering if you're not like constantly eating few foods and in the case of people with like orthorexia there's often this thing like you are only really recovering if you're eating like the real oreos and the real cookies and all the things but I don't think that's what recovery is about I think recovery is about like I said, supporting yourself as a whole person. So eating foods that nourish you both physically, but also mentally. And I think that includes a balance of so-called healthy foods, but also allowing yourself the cookies when you want them and obviously not binging on them. But I think when you do find this balance between nourishing your body and your mind, you won't even feel the need to overeat on them because you're not, you don't feel restricted. I completely agree with that. Yeah, I, I feel like we've touched on so many important topics throughout this episode. And before we wrap up, I wanted to ask if there's anything else you want to kind of give our listeners or any advice you have. I mean, a lot of my messages are, are, are going to be related to mental health. And I do think that 
mental health. It's inexplicably tied to things like eating disorders. You use those means of coping as a way to cope with those mental health difficulties. And the important thing to know is that the little things that you do every day, they have a minor, a very minor effect on your mood. And a lot of the time we can get discouraged because of that. But the most important thing is to try and add in little things every day that are going to boost your mood. Like it's a cumulative thing. And quite often if you strike the right balance of everything and you introduce things slowly, for most of the time you follow that, your mood does tend to improve. It's very dependent person to person and it's really tough for no reason sometimes. And it's just important to to know that when that happens, you acknowledge it, it happens, you have a horrible day and then you see what happens tomorrow. And, you know, you could have the best day ever. You could be more or less the same, but you can always do something little to try and help yourself every day. Yeah, absolutely. I I love what you said about adding instead of subtracting because we're often so focused on what do we not want our life to look like? What do we need to take away? But so often when you add in positive things, the bad things will naturally go away because you're replacing them. So it's really that addition mindset. And like you also said about adding in small things every day we often think like when it comes to recovery it's such a big task almost we don't know where to start but a metaphor that i heard on another podcast recently was if you did one positive thing towards recovery every day if you just like moved one degree on like a spectrum then in 180 days you'd have moved 180 degrees and i'm like yeah it's so true because recovery doesn't happen overnight but that's because the eating disorder and the mental health issue didn't happen overnight it takes time and ultimately what recovery actually comes down to is forming new habits and habits take time to form in the brain so yeah so much goodness so thank you for sharing all of your wisdom thomas i'm sure that our listeners are so, so grateful for you. And just as Bruce's growth, like I'm so grateful personally. So that said, where can listeners learn more about you and your channel and everything you stand for? So you can find me on pretty much all of my social media and my YouTube channel, which is Asperger's Growth. That's the same for every single one of them. And which is good. It's nice. It's, uh, it's quite convenient. <laughs> and then my podcast is the 40 Audi podcast. And if you don't know how to spell that, try your best with it and it'll probably come up. Yeah. And I'll, I'll put all the links in the show notes too for anyone <laughs> listening. And I would say that there is one specific thing that I would want, you know, if you have the time to watch, it's a documentary that I did on the link between autism and mental health. And if you don't know much about autism, that is a place to go because I've designed that documentary to introduce people to it. And even if you you do know about autism, I do think that there's a lot to learn from that link between autism and mental health. It's based off a literature that I did from my my biomedical sciences degree. So it's very, very heavily supported by science in the background. Also very experiential and good to watch. And that's called Asperger's in Society. And where can people watch that? On my YouTube channel. (laughs) On your YouTube channel. Okay, I will put everything in the, the show notes. And I love that it's experience 
based and science-based because that's what I'm all about too. So (laughs) I'm sure that my listeners will just get so much value from this episode. And if you did get any value from this episode and you want to spread the autism and mental health message, please screenshot you listening to this on your Instagram stories and share it and tag me at live label free and thomas at ask produce growth and we look forward to hearing what you thought of this episode bye see you later thank you very much Liv.